Hi, wherever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program, all software at the heart is going to have inference engines generated directly from data with models. So anything that we've done with software is now going to be rebuilt with machine learning at the heart. That's after these headlines. U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is offering funding to drug companies, including Pfizer and Moderna, to expand mRNA COVID vaccine capacity by a billion doses by the second half of 2022, Bloomberg reports. The plan, announced on Wednesday, is also aimed at building capacity to address any future pandemic, according to Bloomberg. The world's biggest drug companies have been accused by Oxfam and others of profiteering by selling to rich countries, while most people in low-income countries around the world haven't been fully vaccinated. Arborworks, a fintech company started by eight former Google executives, has found backing in Sequoia Capital India and 120 angel investors from among some serious practitioners of AI and top tech executives, Cesar Sengupta, who's leading the startup, said in a blog post yesterday. The value of the funding hasn't been disclosed, but TechCrunch reports that it is an eight-figure investment. Sengupta previously led payments on the Next Billion Users initiative at Google. His work included launching Google Pay in India. European nations are a step closer to agreeing on a law, the Digital Markets Act, aimed at preventing big tech companies from abusing their dominant positions, Financial Times reports. The agreement reached among the European Parliament's main political parties paves the way for a vote on the package next week, according to FT. If the act became law by next year, it could apply to companies including Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Netherlands Booking and China's Alibaba, according to the report. Shri Satish Ambati's AI journey started with math olympiads as a schoolboy and culminated in the founding of what has become one of the world's best-known AI cloud platforms. In today's interview, Ambati talks about explainability, bringing AI to the edge, and the next steps at his company H2O.ai. Here's more. Uh, Shri, welcome to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. Uh, for folks who may not be familiar with uh, your work, perhaps uh, you could start by uh, telling us a bit about uh, the path that led you to the uh, starting of uh, H2O.ai. We'll go from there. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, thanks, Hari, and thanks for your audience um, time. H2O is a grassroots AI movement that we started about 10 years ago because there was a strong um, need and missing gap that we identified for building world-class math engines at scale, machine learning at scale, and AI platforms that can bring applications, data, and, and analytics together. And then today we have about 20,000 organizations using our platform open source. And more than a million data scientists use H2O and trust it. H2O uh, is one of the most wanted skill set in AI these days. And the journey started when um, many years ago, um, of course, I was um, raised by a mathematician, 
father was my math teacher and he always wanted me to compete in olympiads and not and and in most of the uh, bulk of the journey in the story started when I had to write a Kalman filter um, at the Indian Space Research Organization where I was interning and to and also a voice to text recognition uh, platform for automatic launch countdown and, um, and the story is quite fascinating because um, in, we were copying NASA's uh, idea of Roger and it became Roger, Roger, Roger and every new accent would kill the neural network I was training. And that got me more um, excited to dig in and try to build stable, uh, deep neural networks in the 90s. And as a result, that was the AI became a core passion. And um, between many startups, I would be spending time trying to build a very strong math engine to a point where by the time we got to, um, to the, to the uh, 2007 and eight, the recommendation engine price from Netflix and others truly triggered a whole space around data science, and, um, and one thing came together. One thing led to the next. Uh, quite fascinating. Tell us a, a little bit. I mean, take a couple of minutes. Tell us a bit about uh, the journey from Israel to the U.S. Uh, and Silicon Valley. Uh, what you did in the interim, and how you came to the idea that became H two O. Yeah, I think um, after Israel, we published a paper um, on how to do automatic launch countdown systems. Um, my um, co-author then, uh, Viji, was my partner now in life. She, um, she and I wrote the papers around how the future of, of, of um, understanding, like thought processor, right? How do you process? how someone's state of mind is and try to build models around them and uh, how um, we, we kind of envisioned a future where we could almost digitally mimic an Einstein. So, um, and we I worked closely with my uh, principal um, researcher, Dr. Sheshigiri at um, ISRO. He was super um, supportive and immediately, but very inspired and connected me to so many more scientists across the world at the time. Email itself was difficult to get, right? As a, um, but we managed to connect with some of the top current, fam currently famous neural net um, deep learning researchers. Back then, they were all assistant professors. And uh, as a result, the need to build software and uh, format became a core um, core passion. Um, I then led, joined a math sciences department in Memphis, where Memphis has a very strong math and computer science joint program. And there, some of the top um, cognitive science and AI researchers will be visiting and math combinatorics folks will be visiting um, all the time. Paul Erdosh um, was one of the top mathematician there. So we attracted a lot of great visiting mathematicians, which was a bit it was very fortunate to be able to work with some of the top field medalists in the earliest when the days of doing math or solving problems. And the core finding there was AI programs never had great software engineers. Right? So they're great ideas, a lot of thinking, deep thinking and philosophy, but building 
great software was not a core competency. Compiler engineers or compiler systems or operating systems, people had a lot of um, good engineering, but um, AI was always, um, uh, did not attract the best of um, engineering, uh, software engineering talent. And so, except of course at Google or Amazon, and so as the internet revolution started taking off, recommendation engines became a core. You see the 1997 um, shareholder statement of Amazon, they they basically said, we want to predict which book you're going to buy next um, before um, you know about the book. And in that kind of um, AI was the heart of, um, of internet giants and the search engines as well as, as, well as e-business. And they completely attracted and dominated the talent pool from to, from the 90s to the to 2007 until Facebook. I think what we, between that time, I was mostly working and learning what startups, how to build them, how to make them, how to build big teams, um, working on data mostly. And um, between my startups, I would be taking a sabbatical with um, Berkeley and Stanford since I was in um, Bay Area and work on theoretical neuroscience and even actually going down and doing some um, kind of um, experiments on cells and start learning about collecting data. And when we started collecting the data, it was pretty clear that um, there was no software that could analyze data at that scale that is out and available, both in closed source and open source. Having tried every one of those software, it was obvious we needed to build it. And it took me another um, another startup um, and six, seven years later and a wake up call uh, when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, I was um, compelled um, to read the papers on lumpectomy versus mastectomy because of all the different opinions that we're getting um, in, the, in the hospital system in Hyderabad and Chennai. So then I essentially, um, that we need to build a software that can analyze large data sets and um, large number of mammograms to reduce um, the false positivity that is there in the current uh, machine learning, current models. And so that triggered me to start building an open source movement that can go and be accessible worldwide. Okay. Uh, today, uh, can you give us a sense of, uh, or at least a layman's sense of, uh, what is at the heart of the technology that you've built? Uh, what it does, uh, mostly how it is being used? Yeah, at the heart of um, the findings, if you will, when we were measuring, um, measuring um, neuronal spikes in a cell, the first thing that we found was the distance calculation between two large vectors or tensors is actually very hard to do at scale, right? So it is the core of H2O engine is the world's fastest log-free hash map, which does counting at scale. So you don't have to put a lock between multiple machines or multiple um, virtual machines when you do counting on using H2O, right? It's a very nicely um, written up um, software that can do memory in-memory calculations at scale very fast. So billions of rows of, of regressions can be done in seconds because you can scale it across multiple machines. So if you're eBay and you're trying to 
cut the data into different slices. Um, you you use our quantile today or booking.com and they're trying to reprice a hotel. They need to kind of um, um, do a, a worldwide analysis of how that pricing starts fluctuating on any given night. And the math behind is, is using H2 core algorithms. One of the things we assumed was someone else will build these algorithms, we'll just build the core platform. But of course, it never goes that way. We slowly started working with our mathematicians on what the algorithms look like. And once we started recoding a linear regression, logistic regression, um, we have the world's most scalable and accurate um, generalized linear method, which is at the heart of all insurance underwriting. And, um, and it's used widely by State Farm, Allstate, um, nationwide, um, some, some of the Pingan, some of the world's top insurance companies. And then we went and implemented a method called boosting, which is the idea of learning stage-wise, taking a very weak learning uh, method and then continuously pouring data at it so it gets faster and sharper and more and more and more accurate. The, the continuous, uh, this boosting method was never uh, paralyzed before H2O. So what we did was we um, calculated all the uh, splits first and then grew the trees in parallel, So, which was an algorithmic uh, software engineer's view a way of uh, making it really, really fast. And GBMs are at the heart of all lending systems today, whether it is um, pay, pay through mobile in India, or Paytm, or M-Pesa, Alipay, Apple Pay, PayPal, Capital um, One, um, Wells Fargo, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, all of them use the core open source GBMs for doing lending decisions today. And um, we then went one step further and started seeing that grandmasters, the Kaggle data scientists, uh, best data scientists were using our platform in specific ways that prevented overfitting or prevented um, loss um, of uh, accuracy when you ask for more interpretation, interpretability and the various parameter tunings that they were doing. So we then built a new platform on top of the base platform and we call it AutoML and ported most of them to GPUs and got to a platform driverless AI. AutoML had a, um, a very strong um, attach rate in the industry in addition to H2O, the open source. And today we have a very strong platform that integrates all of this end-to-end -to, -end to allow customers to essentially take on any problem of scale. Right? So if you have uh, UPS delivering uh, packages every day, all each one of the routes that they're taking is actually using H2O as a core uh, uh, core engine. At Commonwealth Bank of Australia, all the mortgage decisions, marketing decisions are, powering, are powered by uh, driverless AI. And um, I mean, the, during the pandemic supply chain, disruption of the pandemic uh, caused by the pandemic between Unilever, between Unilever Racket, uh, Procter & Gamble, we were essentially looking at use cases for where to send Dettol, to where to send Lysol, and how to um, ensure that pricing is 
is of um, essentials. Um, the egg farmers of um, China, uh, sorry, Canada, they use H2O to essentially price and distribute eggs to blueberries, to perishables. Um, so we've seen use cases everywhere, including who will, um, how many flu shots should the Walgreens have uh, zip code by zip code. And during, during the last few years, we started um, coming to um, some of the largest banks in India as well, like HDFC and um, as well as uh, SEBI and others are beginning to use, IFCOs, farmers um, are beginning to use H2O um, and become paying customers for H2O. Mostly H2O is widely used across, open source is widely used and the community is very large for us in India. Mm. Uh, can you talk about uh, the, I mean, whether there is uh, a tension between uh, the need uh, for uh, AI-driven automation that you've been talking about? On the one hand, it enables, of course, uh, computations of very uh, complex nature, very large numbers. But on the other hand, uh, what are the kind of implications we are facing uh, if a machine is going to decide uh, if a poor person should get a loan or not? That's a very good question. Explainability is at the heart of, of how we can understand um, how anyone is making a decision, whether it's human intelligence or machine intelligence or data-driven. I think the, the core, um, core to debugging these models is to know how they are, um, how they're, um, um, where they are vulnerable, right? Sort of, and by doing adversarial testing against different um, fields, different columns and features, we essentially make sure that the models are, are well-behaved, right, if you will, on the black box side. But if you go one step further, mathematically, um, while the world looks very complex and sophisticated, they're locally very linear. Right? Um, my daughter asked a very interesting question. If the earth is so um, spherical, how come when we drive a car, it looks like a straight line on the road? Because it's a locally very linear, even though the globally very complex uh, architecture. So what we've done is we recast these complex models, big deep black box models, into locally linear transformations locally linear models, so it's a, now a pack of more models, but in that, within that local segment, we're able to interpret if a particular um, user is, um, a particular decision is biased or not. Now, typically data has captured centuries of decisioning bias that humans have um, had, cultures have had, and it, it exists uh, globally. And um, and what we, what we, as, as we evolve our social constructs and we want to um, kind of be bring bring an equitable future that is very inclusive, what we can or should do is to augment and amplify the decisions that were um, rare, but that led to big output, big impact, such as democratizing credit. And so in the subprime um, in US specifically, uh, Capital One built a huge business by making sure, focusing on the 600 to 700 section of the FICO score. And what we ended up doing is actually giving them a model that is 
um, that can run independent of the FICO score and come up with models that are um, that take, uh, for example, features or that that highlight features of why if someone else someone will actually pay back the loan or not. And in general, I think we're seeing that um, it's a necessary. Um, and it's a key ingredient for making AI work is to make it interpretable and um, kind of explain, self-explain itself, call it AI to explain AI and make sure that we can document um, and we generate a lot of automatic documentation and that regulators can review why um, addition went one way versus the other to why a model was picked and what parameters were chosen, what data was used to make the model. And these are uh, documents that we customized for Citibank or Wells Fargo and made sure that the um, customer is able to kind of use them in their context. And I think um, in general, um, just look, since you asked about lending, that this is a common practice for healthcare as well, that we want to bring equity. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's where you invest in a, as a bank versus where you invest as a nation with cities to develop, which towns to develop, where you need to send um, oxygen concentrators when there's a problem, where you need to send, uh, invest in schools, um, all of the additions are going to be model driven. And the advantage of, um, of, um, of models um, being wrong is they can be changed with software. Um, but it's much harder to change social constructs or human mind, human uh, belief systems. Uh, models are software, and they can well they can do it at scale. We can um, change them like normally modify software. Hmm. Uh, what might be the next important uh, stage in the evolution of uh, AI? I mean, not uh, small incremental changes, but what might be the next big step in the evolution of uh, AI? Well, I mean, I think when we when we think of the automatic machine learning platforms, we build, we call that AI to do AI. So expert systems are helping us how to build better AI. And now when we're trying to bring it closer to applications, it, um, we are bringing AI to the edge, if you will, where um, decisions um, and data and um, and intelligence are going to reside very close to the place where users are experiencing. Right? Um, that, uh, in NLP, if you will, uh, natural language processing over the last um, 18, 24 months has dramatically improved to nearly human level of, of, um, uh, of understanding and predictions. But, um, but I think we're still far behind to to kind of try and take this and apply in larger um, kind of the current di- direction has taken very large models. How do you simplify it so you can get it more uh, interpretable and get the businesses to move or people to react to it? I think that's still a big research topic and a lot of academic institutions globally are working on similar themes on how to make natural language processing more understandable. So the next epoch here is to continue to 
take on substantially larger problems, which are um, kind of model of models and try to create a very large um, architecture. All software at the heart is going to have inference engines generated directly from data with models. So anything that we've done with software is now going to be rebuilt with machine learning at the heart. And and instead of human-generated or software programmer-generated logic or domain expert-generated logic, we're asking data to, to generate logic programs. And that's kind of um, everything that in the past we automated with software is going to be redone with AI. So, so that's one side. Now, if you go double-click, I think some of, there's two different paths ahead for AI, and one of them is continue to invest in large models which need lots of data and and pour a lot more um, thinking into making them interpretable versus the other side where a child is able to understand the world much faster than a massive supercomputer. So taking a simpler approach or should we take a much more, is there a simpler math that can essentially uh, give us uh, results that are easy to understand and easy to deploy at scale and also sustainable. So I think um, those two, dif- both the directions are, are, are growing, uh, growing rapidly and the GPT-3 side is one of them and the other side is beginning to see the desire to simplify the math that's needed to do problems of scale. Okay. Uh- Tell us about uh, the most important ways uh, in which you'll be uh, working to develop your technologies and your operations uh, in the coming months and years. The last mile for AI right now for HTO is to co-create with um, with the domain. Which is, so a lot of the core math um, and the deployment development of the platform and low-code environments to create um, data stories have, have have all been built and are being widely used. I think where the highest value um, of alpha of undiscovered value is in the co-creation and partnerships, deep partnership with domain-specific um, application builders as well as um, stock, uh, companies, ecosystem, and large companies with data and domain and brand. And that's what we're doing is essentially partner very closely with our customers to build uh, vertical applications and um, and um, um, feature stores. We built one with AT&T uh, over the last six months and released it last week where AT&T teams and H2O teams work closely to build a feature store that powers their fraud prevention um, system. And we're making that feature store accessible in AI cloud uh, the rollout of the AI cloud, um, is, as we all know, cloud is capital intensive, um, and we we essentially raised capital to continued adoption of the H2 AI cloud across all our customers, and co-create vertical applications and app stores, um, and pre-built models of different kind that customers can roll out to other uh, folks in the ecosystem uh, and create that kind of um, model marketplace. And then feature stores, so we can start uh, collecting all the various 
wins of experiments both within an organization and across organizations. And that core uh, place where applications, data, and analytics can come together is where uh, the H2AI cloud is continuing its journey. And I think that convergence of the three becomes the DNA, uh, data analytics and apps of every organization. And that's where the, the, the real digital brain of the organizations and the world will reside. Okay, excellent, uh, Sri. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. I really appreciate it. And I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thanks, Hari, and thanks for your audience. That was Sri Ambati. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.